Macworld Podcast number 59 for November 29th, 2006. Sponsored by MYOB, Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Welcome to this Fortnite's podcast. And yes, we're that fancy that I get to call this Fortnite, which means this comes out every two weeks or so. I'm your host, Chris Breen. This time around, we have an extra chunky podcast for you. Some news and commentary, a good news, bad news answer to a listener's question, and an in-depth interview with Dan Frakes. Dan and I discussed playlists recently announced Plays of the Year awards, awards given to the coolest digital music accessories this year. If your holiday recipient list includes an iPod owner or a potential iPod owner, I suppose, if you're willing to be really generous and supply that self-same iPod, definitely tune this one in. Dan offers some great suggestions for gadgety gifts. And now for recent events. As is typical, the Thanksgiving holiday pretty well put the brakes on breaking technology news. Microsoft's digital music player, the Zune, finally appeared on store shelves, and from what I've been able to determine, there they remain. The Zune has received a raft of reviews that speak to its general lameness. I'll have a Zune in hand soon, and we'll provide impressions on playlist as well as in the next podcast, but the reviews and first looks seem to shake out in a couple of ways. Reviewers who are attempting to present a, quote, fair and balanced, unquote, view of the iPod, and yes, I think we can read that to mean that they're generally sick and tired of the whole iPod dominance thing. Acknowledge the Zune's failings, but speak brightly of its potential. The fact that the Zune can squirt, which means transfer files wirelessly, tracks to other Zunes via Wi-Fi is a cool thing in their eyes, and they like the Zune's larger screen. Though they generally ignore that it's the same resolution as the iPod screen, it's just that its pixels are bigger. And then there are the reviews of the, quote, iPod zealots. And yes, I use that term in quotes. And yes, that term is applied by those who fall into that earlier, sick and tired of the iPod's dominance camp. These tend to be the majority of reviews. Of them, I really like Andy Anatko's take. Writing for the Chicago Sun-Time, Andy sums up the Zoom thusly. Quote, Yes, Microsoft's new Zoom digital music player is just plain dreadful. I've spent a week setting this thing up and using it, and the overall experience is about as pleasant as having an airbag deploy in your face. Unquote. Ouch. As many folks have opined, the problem isn't so much with the Zune itself, though it's a little bulky, the navigation is a little unwieldy, and the click wheel that doesn't turn, it's actually just a rocker switch, makes for a device that's harder to use than the iPod. The Zune ecosystem is just goofy, and that's the problem. For example, if you want to squirt tunes to your Zune using friends, everything you squirt is wrapped in the Zune's copy protection scheme. So even if you've recorded your own tune and saved it as an unprotected file, once it hits the Zune as an, and is squirted out, that tune has the same you can play this three times or have it for three days restriction. Now, I'm sure the recording industry is tickled by this kind of digital rights management, but it's a lousy thing for consumers. And then there's the Zune Marketplace, which is the Microsoft equivalent to the iTunes Store. Instead of dealing with money, 99 cents for a single track like you have at the iTunes Store, you have to purchase points from Microsoft, and a point is worth 79 cents, and you have to buy at least $5 worth of them to purchase anything from the Zune Marketplace. It's pretty clear that this is a way to create play money, where consumers will pay less attention to what they really are paying for their media. And when points don't really equal currency, it gives Microsoft the opportunity to use variable pricing, charging a point for this track, two points for another, and 
consumers have no idea what they're really paying because they're not taking the time to figure out what a point is worth. The music industry has been crying out for variable pricing, and Apple, with its dominance, has been able to hold them off. It appears Microsoft has no problem doing whatever it takes to make nice with the music industry. Again, this is not something that pretends good things for consumers. And at the risk of turning this into an all-iTunes, all-the-time podcast, it's worth mentioning the rumor that Apple Computer and Apple Records are in talks to bring the Beatles catalog to the iTunes store. As some of you may know, the Beatles is the holy grail of music catalogs. While nearly every big-name band, excluding Led Zeppelin, has released its catalog for digital purchase, the Beatles' Apple Corps has held out, though John Lennon's widow Yoko Ono has allowed some of Lennon's solo work to be sold digitally on services other than iTunes. If you're of a certain age, and yes, that would include me, you already own the Beatles stuff in multiple formats. You have vinyl, 45s, tape, and CD. Should the Beatles come to the iTunes store, I'm unlikely to buy it again. My CD grips are going to sound better than what iTunes offers. But having the Beatles catalog is good for Apple in ways other than as a profit source. To begin with, if Apple gets an exclusive, it gets iTunes huge bragging rights. The music subscription services haven't really taken off, though I personally like the idea and wish Apple would implement it. Being able to splash a Beatles banner across the top of your online music store, where others are offering the same old stuff, lets the world know that you've got serious juice. At this point, there should be little doubt that Apple owns this space, but having the Beatles is a nice way to underscore it, particularly for those who don't normally pay much attention to digital music. Gaining the rights to put Beatles music in your iPod ads would certainly give pause to anyone trying to sell a digital music player. And it's pretty clear that the Beatles catalog has staying power. Yeah, I completely understand why people in their teens and 20s would wish to never hear the strains of any tune recorded between 1964 and 1980 again. I mean, the baby boomers have had a pretty long turn dominating the airways. But generational biases aside, the Beatles wrote and recorded some great stuff, like Sinatra and Elvis. The Beatles will continue to sell for years and years to come. And so much for my two bits. I promise more Macintosh news and commentary next time. Up next, my interview with Macworld and playlist Dan Frakes. But before we get to that interview, a word from our sponsor, MYOB. 1989. David Hasselhoff was dancing on the Berlin Wall. Michael Jordan was in search of his first title. And the brand new Macintosh SE had four megabytes of RAM. 1989 was also the year MYOB introduced their award-winning software for Mac small businesses. Seventeen years later, MYOB is still empowering small business owners to manage their customers, vendors, inventory, payroll, and, of course, their accounting. To learn how MYOB can help your small business, visit myob-us.com. MYOB. Mind your own business. Smarter. And now Dan Frakes and I talk about Playlists, Plays of the Year Awards. I'm joined today via Skype by Dan Frakes, Senior Editor for Mac World, where you can read his always helpful Mac Gems blog and column, and Senior Reviews Editor for PlaylistMag.com. Thanks for joining me, Dan. Sure, no problem. Glad to be here, Chris. Great. Um, you know, recently Playlist announced its annual Plays of the Year Awards, and these are personal mm-hmm. audio products, many of which are accessories to the iPod, but not all of them. How long have... Has Playlist been doing this? This is our second year, actually. Uh, Playlist started about two, two and a half years ago as uh, Macworld's sort of digital music arm. 
we deal with the iPod, digital music, um, and we're cl- cross-platform, which is why we don't just do it on MacWorld.com. Uh, we also deal with Windows uh, to the uh, whatever that means, good or bad. You know, oddly enough, I didn't see the Zune on uh, in this article anywhere. I'm... Yeah, I did not get a Plays of the Year award, I'm afraid. Huh. Well, maybe maybe next. No, okay, maybe not next year. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'd like to start by asking you generally how you come up with categories of products and then decide who's responsible for choosing um, the individual products within those categories. Well, uh, kind of like Macwell does with its Eddie Awards, we don't choose categories beforehand. What we do is we we uh, get the editorial group together and we say, okay, what are the products that really stand out this year? What's really cool? Um, some of them are just things that we go, wow, that's really cool. Others are things that... Um, you know, stand out because they're really good value. Maybe they um, they do similar things to other products, but they're you know twenty, thirty, a hundred dollars cheaper. Um, some of them just the performance is better than anything else out there. And then we narrow it down to a group of products that we feel were the best um, that year. And then we kind of come up with categories afterwards. And <clears throat> sometimes that presents a challenge, but it also means that we're not beholden to picking a case if all the cases kind of stunk for the year. You know, right. Um, we we try to just find what we think are the best products, and then uh, and then find categories that they. It, it's not even really categories. I guess you'd, you'd say find a, a short description of it. For you know, for example, we picked the Nike iPod Sport Kit this year. Um, you know, what category is that? Considering that there's never been a product like that before, and so we called it the most innovative iPod accessory. Right. That that makes sense. I'm, I want to talk specifically about that thing in in a in a bit. But before we do, um, I noticed that the. Um, the best iPod of the year was uh, presented as a second-generation iPod Nano, mm-hmm. and yet Apple this year released a new shuffle and it updated the 5G iPod. So why choose the Nano? Well, the shuffle, you know, uh, you you did the review of it, and um, you liked it, uh, and, we, and we did like it. It's a very cool uh, machine, like a machine, I guess if you want to call it that, um, gadget. Uh, but it, it, you know, it has some drawbacks. You can't use it as a USB thumb drive without bringing a dock along with you. Um, some people have heard a little bit of hiss in the sound quality, not quite as good as the Nano or the full size. Um, it was, it's a good unit, but we didn't feel like it really stood out. The, uh, new fifth generation iPod is also very cool, uh, but it was sort of smaller steps over the last, last year's model. Whereas the, New Nano was sort of a, a, a brand new thing. I mean, it's about the same size as the old one, but you get um, you get all the benefits of the old iPod Mini. You know, you get the um, aluminum exterior. It's much tougher. It um, doesn't scratch as easily. Um, bigger capacity for lower prices, um, and as well as some of the new features of the 5G iPod, like the search functionality. Um, and we just felt like it was the best, <clears throat> excuse me, of the new iPods in terms of of what you get for the money and being different from the previous generation. Yeah. Do you find that search function is actually useful? You know, I, I like the scanning function, I guess, if you want to call it the, um, where when you, when you, uh, scroll through the, the click wheel, through, excuse me, scroll through a long list of, say, artists or tracks, you see the first letter show up on the screen. I find that a lot more useful than the search function itself, which, um, you know, you, you kind of go through and you say, okay, uh, go to S, enter, A, enter. You know, it, to me, I find it just as easy to use the click wheel to just scroll through a list. Um, and along with the new overlay of the first letter of each uh, of the section you're going through, I think it works e- more easily than actually using the search feature itself. Yeah, I, I found that to be the case as well. I tried the search feature when I was reviewing the, the Nano and thought, oh, okay, well, this is sort of clever. 
But I haven't used it since. As you say, that overlay is so easy to use. If I have a, a like, right. if I'm going through the song list category, I could easily jump down to the J's, K's, or L's, and then from there, kind of figure out what I want to do. Right. And and I noted when I uh, when I reviewed the 5G iPod, the, the latest 5G iPod, fifth generation iPod of video, that more than anything, I think that's what's unique about the search function is that it shows that there is now a way to input text or data into the iPod. And I don't expect Apple to use this, you know, to start emailing people, but it does mean that you can conceive of a way in the future where Apple will integrate some kind of features where you will need to input information Um uh, probably things were just a few characters at a time, but it's the first time you've actually been able to input data into the iPod without syncing it with your computer. Yeah, I think that is an interesting feature, and it, it is sort of TiVo-like in its way that you can enter a few letters and then it will pull up a list of, of right. hits for you. So, yeah, it makes sense. If you were to have to use that scroll wheel to, like, input somebody's name in order to add it to a, a V card or something, I think that right, right. that's too much, but in order to... To find something that it makes perfect sense. Sure. Now I want to go to this Nike plus iPod Sports Kit. It got the the most innovative iPod accessory, which I think describes the the device pretty well. But I'm not a runner, so I admit I'm I'm the guy who just doesn't really get it. Is the Sports Kit really more than a gimmick or or a way for each company to kind of bask in the others the other company's aura? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think obviously Nike and iPod are both saying, "Hey, let's get together and do something. What can we do?" Uh, and this is what came about. But uh, from everybody I've talked to who's used it, who actually is a runner, uh, they love it. You know, it's not a serious, like, high-end runner's kit. You know, you're not going to get Marion Jones or, or you know, the the, uh, the uh, uh, Olympic milers running with this thing. But for a casual runner, somebody who used it for exercise, everybody I know who's used it has loved it. Um, and a lot of people have said it's actually inspired them to run more often. Uh, it's just the fact that it can track your workouts, you get back home and you, you connect your iPod to your computer and all of a sudden you, say, you see exactly how long you ran, what your average speed was, you see your route, how your speed varied, and you're like, oh, that's where I was going up, that huge hill. Look at how, look how slow I was. That <laughs> um, you, you know, it's really, it's really interesting and it really sort of uh, gives you some context to your run and uh, makes your runs a little more interesting. Uh, both during because it's giving you feedback as you're running and after because you see what kind of progress you made. And, uh, the other things people like are these, these goals and milestones. You can say, my goal is to run, um, 20 miles in the next three weeks. And it will actually show you on screen. It'll say, here's your goal. Here's where you've gotten. You were behind pace or you're, you're ahead of pace. Um, and you can, you can see what kind of progress you're making. And you can do these sort of cross country races where you and your friends, your friends in Massachusetts and you're in California, and you guys say, you know what, let's see who can be the first one to run, you know, 30 miles this month. Mm-hmm. And each time you sink, it uploads the information you look and you're like, oh wow, Jeff is way ahead of me. I better get, you know, my button gear. Uh, and it's, so it's, uh, I think its biggest advantage is that it's very motivating from everybody I've talked to. Right. Now, but I know people are, you know, they have a certain loyalty to their brand of athletic shoe. Does this mean that people that want this thing have to get Nike shoes or is there some way around that? Well, as Nike advertises it, their their Nike Plus shoes all have a little uh, hole in the sole. You take out the insole, and then you put the little transmitter down into the shoe and then replace the insole. But there are a bunch of vendors now who are making add-on products uh, that let you use the transmitter. Um, and sorry, we haven't really mentioned this yet, but the Nike iPod Sport Kit consists of a, a transmitter that you put in your shoe 
It's a little device about the size, of, a little smaller than a quarter and a little thicker. Um, and then a receiver that plugs into the bottom of the dock connector on your iPod Nano. Um, so this transmitter, uh, if you have, if you say like different shoes, for example, I know a lot of serious runners, <clears throat> they use um, Sockenies or or Asics or New Balance. Um, you can get a, a third-party accessory like a Marwar Sport Suit Sensor Plus. I believe Switch Easy also has some that are basically little pouches with Velcro that let you um, connect the uh, the pouch to your shoelaces, and then you put the transmitter in there. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's nice that you don't have to use the Nike, right, even right. though it's it's branded that way. Right. Um, in the place of the year, there's a category for listening devices, specifically headphones and speakers. Mm-hmm. And before we talk about specific earphones that – uh, appear in the piece. Let's talk a little bit about what you should look for when you're shopping for a set of headphones. Well, I think the most important thing is to f- figure out first what kind of headphones you want because, you know, there's lots of different styles of headphones. There's earbuds, there's in-ear canal phones, uh, over-the-head phones, you know, the full-size things, mm-hmm. um, headphones for exercise, and they all have different strengths and weaknesses, but uh, I think the most important thing is getting a set of earphones or headphones that... Um, are designed for the use that you'll be mostly using them for. If you're, if you spend most of your time with your iPod at the gym, then a set of full-size headphones is definitely not for you. Uh, if you spend most of your time, you know, at home sitting in front of your computer using your iPod that way, then you might want, you know, sort of the comfort and the full sound that you get from larger headphones. Well, how do you really know though? I mean, because most, you know, if I walk into the Apple store, I can't just take a, a set of canal phones and jam them into my ear because, <laughs> you know, who wants to try them on after that? Right, right. Um, well, for most of the things, like I said, uh, exercise, you, you know, you want something that's lightweight and comfortable and that will stay on while you're, while you're, while you're running or, or working out at the gym. For other things, uh, it's kind of a try, try before you buy thing or, or, um, you know, try some friends. For example, canal phones are, for those who don't know them, they're, um, kind of like earbuds except they actually stick down in your ears, uh, and they use either rubber or foam tips and they seal out all external noise. It's kind of like wearing earplugs. Um, and the advantage of them is that they, they tend to sound very good because they tend to be all very high quality. There aren't very many cheap in-ear phones, in-ear canal headphones. Um, and also you can use them in noisy environments, you know, whether you're on a plane or on a train or even just, you know, at work to drown out the sounds of the office. But, uh, they're also a very, um, love-hate thing. They're very, definitely a love-hate kind of headphones because some people just don't like sticking stuff in your ears. So, you know, if you've never tried them, um, you know, you might want to find a dealer that lets you, uh, that has clean ear tips you can try. Otherwise, um, there are some retailers, for example, Headroom, uh, Corporation. They have a, a really good return policy, 30 days, and they honor that even for in-ear canal headphones. Hmm. And they'll let you, you know, send them to you. You can try them out for 30 days. If you don't like them, they'll, they'll give you a refund. Um, and so for that kind of thing, a very specialized headphones where you really do need to try them out, um, uh, before you, you decide whether you like them or not, I definitely would try to buy them from a vendor that has a good return policy. Right. Okay, so now to some specific headphones. Uh, assuming that you don't care for the the earbuds that come from Apple, that come bundled with the things, and a lot of people don't, yeah. uh, what would you look for, say, in an inexpensive earbud? Well, an inexpensive earbud, we gave one uh, a Plays of the Year award this year to um, V-Moda's Remix M-Class. It's kind of an unwieldy name, but they're... Uh, really nice earbuds, but they're fifty dollars. Uh, they're not cheap. Uh, for that fifty dollars, you get a um, aluminum alloy headphones. They, they're really solid, built really well. They look nice. They're either silver 
or metallic pink or metallic blue, and they sound great as far as earbuds go because earbuds in general aren't the best quality headphones um, because of where they sit in your ear, the size. You just don't get as good a sound as you do with some other types. But as far as earbuds go, they're actually excellent and probably the best ones we've heard. If you don't want to spend quite as much, Sennheiser makes a number of units. and um, In fact, we've been recommending the same Sennheiser ones for years before these Remix M class came along. Um, the MX400 and MX500, uh, they're very inexpensive. They sound better than Apple's, and you can get them on Amazon for like $7 or $12 mm. now. I, I saw them last week for like $7.99. Wow. And for the money, it's pretty. Yeah, it's a great deal. Okay. And then assuming you're not creeped out by putting uh, phones in your ear canals. <laughs> so uh, I saw Best Canal Buds, you list uh, the CX-300s from Sennheiser. Right. What's so spectacular about these? Well, the one thing is that we you'll notice we call them canal buds rather than canal phones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, earbuds are these sort of the small, lightweight things like Apple stock ear- earbuds that you just kind of they sit loosely in your ear. They can fall out easily, come loose. Uh, canal phones, in-ear canal headphones, are what we were talking about earlier. They fit down deep in your ear canal. They seal shut with you know these rubber or foam tips. They block out external noise. Sort of in between the two are what we call canal buds, which are um, they they kind of just sit on the outside of your ears, um, just inside your ear canals, block out a little bit of noise, but they aren't as uncomfortable. And so a lot of people prefer these. Sony's had a lot of these over the years, the EX70, EX71s, EX81s, very popular headphones that um, that really popularize this kind of, of of headphone. And they tend to be much more comfortable. They're easier to put in and take out. Um, but they give you some of the advantages of canal phones over earbuds. Uh, so they're kind of a middle ground. And the CX300s are probably the best ones we've heard. Um, they beat the Sony uh, offerings in, in in terms of sound quality. Um, they're lightweight, uh, and uh, they're just, for the for this genre of headphones, they're the best ones we've seen. Right. Now, I know one of the dreams of, of a lot of people is to get unwired from the iPod. I mean, it's it, sure, it's a big status thing to have the white headphones and the, and the cord, but you can get tangled up in the thing, and for a long time people have been looking for some way to, to get rid of that cord, and apparently Edemotic has come out with some headphones now that transmit to the iPod via Bluetooth, and, and I see that's listed here as one of the most, uh, or the most innovative iPod headphones. What is it about the... Um, Eddies that makes them so attractive. Well, there's been a number of Bluetooth headphones over the years, and Bluetooth has generally been, over the last two or three years, the preferred wireless technology for headphones because um, radio frequency and infrared headphones uh, both have severe limitations. For example, the size, it's hard to get small um, radio frequency or infrared uh, transmitters and receivers. Uh, and also they're susceptible to interference. For infrared, you have to be, um, your, your transmitter and receiver have to be in line of sight they have to be unimpeded. For radio frequency, there's a lot of interference from Wi-Fi networks, microwave ovens, cordless phones, you mm-hmm. need it. Uh, so Bluetooth tends to not have those restrictions, at least when used at a short distance. The sound t- quality tends to be very good. You, you don't get any static. Basically, when you get out of range, it just cuts off. It's not like you start to get you know fuzzy reception. Right. Um, and so it's a good technology. And so we've had a number of Bluetooth headphones over the years. Logitech's come out with some, 10 technology. Um, there's been a whole range of them. But the, the drawback is that they tend to be very bulky. You're, you've got big headphones that house the, the large tech, you know, the large um, um, circuitry necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Edmonic has done here <clears throat> is they've, um, they've been trying to get these out for a while, but they, I met with them a few weeks ago, and they said that they were waiting to get 
the newest Bluetooth uh, circuitry because it's very small. So now what they've done is they've taken their canal phones, the ER4P, which are uh, very highly rated in, around the web and on audio sites, very good headphones, and they've put a Bluetooth receiver on one side and iPod controls on the other, and then they give you a little dongle that's, that connects to the bottom of your iPod. Um, and so you've got actual in-ear canal headphones that have these little square um, pieces hanging off of them. And actually in pictures, they look very ugly and uncomfortable, but when you use them, they're actually pretty lightweight. The entire thing, uh, both ear pieces, um, the circuitry on the ears, and then there's a small cable that goes behind your ears. So you obviously, with stereo headphones, you have to have a cable connecting the two. So you have a short cable that just sort of hangs behind your head. Um, the entire thing is less than an ounce, so it's very oh. lightweight. Um, and you can put your iPod then in your pocket or in your backpack or your laptop bag, and not only can you hear your iPod's music through um, these sort of high-end canal phones, but the right earpiece also has controls for you know play and pause, forward, back, and volume up and down. And so you basically get a Bluetooth headphone in the shape of in-ear canal headphones, and it's pretty cool. There, it's it's not perfect, you know. Um, for example, pressing the controls on the right earpiece because these things are stuck down in your ears. When you're pressing the control, you're kind of pressing them into your ear farther. So you mm-hmm. have to be a little careful about that. And as some people have commented, they're not the most attractive little blocks hanging out of your ears. But then again, you know, you see people with Bluetooth headsets on all the time, walking around the street, um, and you see people with big, huge headphones on. And you know those don't aren't exactly the most attractive either. So yeah, exactly. People are walking around with their their cell phone and that right. big old thing clipped to their left ear. So exactly. You know this isn't a whole lot worse. <clears throat> no. uh, but I suppose if you're walking around with these things jammed in your ears, is there any way to hear external sound, or are you just kind of walking around deaf most of the time? Well, with most canal phones, that that is the case. You you you've got these things that are like earplugs in your ears, so you can't hear what's going on around you. Uh, and that's actually. Uh, a uh, nice segue into one of our other awards. We gave an award to um, Shure's E500PTH. That's the model number, the mm-hmm. E500PTH, which are $500 headphones, sort of top-of-the-line in-ear canal headphones. They sound great. But w- one of the unique things about them is that the PTH part of the name stands for push-to-hear. And the uh, E500s come with this, uh, it's called the push-to-hear module, and it's a little um, module. It's not tiny, but it's, it's small enough to still be very portable. That plugs in in between your headphones and your iPod or whatever other audio source you want. And it's designed for use with canal phones. And what happens is that if you need to hear the outside world, you push a little button on this module, and it's got a microphone that picks up the external sound and then feeds it into your headphones. So um, while you're using canal phones, you can hear what's going on in the outside world without having to take them out of your ears, which is actually one of the biggest inconveniences with canal phones is mm-hmm. getting them out of your ears and putting them back in because the, you're trying to get such a good seal. Um, and they come with the, P- the E500 PTH, but you can also buy the module separately for I think it's around $60 MSRP and probably cheaper online. And it's a very cool little accessory, and I've actually been using it with all my canal phones. Um, for example, on the Mac Mania Cruise when you know we took a few weeks ago, um, going there and back, I used them with my... Um, Custom, uh, custom molded, um, you can get canal phones with custom molds that actually mm-hmm. fit perfectly in your individual ears. And I was using them with those headphones and the, uh, control module and it works great. That sounds very cool. I've got some custom headphones as well and this sounds like something I ought to look into. Yeah, it's a very cool accessory, perfect for when you want to hear the flight attendant or, or at home your spouse or, you know, your kid or anybody else who's trying to get your attention while you're, you're out in your own little world. Or not. 
you right know, or so, I'm sorry, this this thing appears to have all the juices <laughs> run out of it. Uh, no battery. I can't hear a thing. Battery's you're saying. I can't hear you. Sorry. <laughs> oh, maybe that's a gift for somebody else, you know. So the avid iPod user in your life who keeps saying, "I'm sorry, I can't hear you." Say, now you can right, right. get one of these. Uh, okay, so let's look at portable speakers. Mm-hmm. If someone is looking for a good set of portable iPod speakers, what do you recommend? Well, this year, last year, we gave an award to Logitech's MM50, which is a very cool little system, small enough to fit in your suitcase um, or your carry-on, sounding very good for for the size. Uh, you know, in the past year, there haven't been that many really good portable systems. Last year was a hard decision, but this year there weren't too many. But one of them that we really liked was uh, Altec Lansing's InMotion IM9. And it's quite a bit bigger than the, um, the MM50 was last year, but it's still, you know, it's still portable. It runs off six D batteries and the fact, or C batteries, and the fact they use a C batteries rather than triple A's is kind of sets it apart from most portable speaker systems. Uh, kind of, and kind of tells you that it's got a little more power. Um, and it's four, about four pounds, so it's also not really light, but it's still very portable. You can take it with you. And in fact, Altec Lansing includes a, a little sling backpack that lets you carry the uh, speaker system in your iPod and accessories. Oh, cute. Um, and it's got rubber edges, so you know if it bounces around in your car and your, you know, uh, or falls off the table or whatever, it's not going to shatter. Uh, so it's pretty rugged. Mm-hmm. And the sound quality it puts out is very good. It's Actually, the MM50 still has better detail, um, but this thing has a lot of bass and a lot of uh, volume. And it's one of these things that even though it's small and you can take with you, puts out a lot of sound, big enough to fill a room easily. And uh, and so it ended up getting our best portable speakers of the year award. Yeah, so how much separation can you get from these um, these small speakers? You're not going to get a lot. Um, the, the MM50, one of the things we actually liked about it last year was that it does have pretty good stereo separation, but that's because it has a special... Um, uh, 3D circuitry, they call it 3D, but it's it's basically their way of just giving you enhanced stereo separation. And it was better than than most, uh, but most of them don't give you very much. You know, if you're within a couple feet of it, you'll hear good stereo sound. But otherwise, you know, it's, as is typical with any kind of boombox or or portable stereo system, you're not going to get much stereo imaging or separation. Mm-hmm. I noticed too, you like JBL's radial speaker. Yeah, you know, and that one is actually. Uh, kind of the exception. It's it's about the same size as a lot of portable speakers. It's a one-piece unit. We call it a desktop system because it it doesn't run off batteries. It only runs off AC power. Um, it has a little subwoofer on the bottom and um, left and right speakers and sort of they call it the radial because it's a circular design. But it's actually got surprisingly good um, stereo separation imaging. Uh, and it has to do, I think, with the way they've set up the system so that it it uh, it points the speakers out a little bit and sort of generates a a sense of space. But it's probably of all the com- not probably actually of all the, the compact uh, speaker systems, desktop speaker systems we've heard, JBL easily has the best sound quality. We were really surprised by it. Hmm. Now let's say that I don't want a portable system. Um, I'm, I'm kind of starting out. I've got my iPod, and I just want some. Something for my house, you know, that I want to put a set of speakers somewhere and leave them there. Sure. Uh, what do you suggest for that? Well, we've actually, this year we gave awards to two systems. One uh, was sort of a co-winner with the JBL radial in the sort of compact speaker system category, and that was the monitor I, audio iDeck. And this is a uh, smaller system, but it has separate left and right speakers. You can actually put the speakers six or eight feet apart and get much better stereo separation and, and imaging, so you get good stereo sound. And this system, we were really impressed by it um, earlier in the year at $250. We thought it was a very, it was a great deal at that price considering mm-hmm. the sound quality you get. 
But then uh, earlier or later in the year, just a couple months ago, Monitor uh, offered or released a bunch of new systems, and they lowered the price on the iDeck itself to 150 bucks. Hmm. For 150 bucks, uh, there's nothing out there that gives you uh, anywhere near the sound quality of this system. And um, at first, we thought it was clearance. We asked them, we said, "Yo, is this something you're just clearing out?" And they're like, "No, we're." Going to keep offering this at 150 bucks, so it's a steal. Um, highly recommend to anybody who wants great sound on a budget. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum is if you know if you got some more money to spend, Jamo, uh, which is a subdivision of Klipsch. You know, last year we gave Klipsch's iFi the best home iPod speaker system award. This year we gave it to Jamo's i300, which, like the iFi, is 400 bucks. But what you get for the 400 bucks is a, a home stereo quality system. Uh, the main difference here is that the the uh, i300 from Jamo is much smaller than Klipsch's iFi was. The iFi was a monstrous system, just huge mm-hmm. in terms of it's got a big subwoofer, um, large satellites. Uh, the Jamo, the satellites themselves are like you know two or three inches across. Uh, the subwoofers maybe a foot by a foot, uh, very small, and it's in glossy white or glossy black, um, so iPod colors. Uh, and it gives you great sound quality. You don't get quite as much bass or volume as the iFi gave you, but you get better uh, treble, better detail. Um, and it's really, you know, if you're going to spend 400 bucks on a stereo, if your listening, uh, your listening preferences are mainly for your iPod. If you do most of your listening through your iPod rather than CDs or radio, um, you'd be hard pressed to find a system that gives you better sound quality in a home stereo. You know, something you can go buy at Circuit City. For the same price, so it's a great system for those who've got a, whose iPod is the center of their listening system. Hmm, great. Um, let's talk a little bit about stocking stuffers. There are a lot of people with iPods out there that are just walking around with them in their pockets, and they probably should have a case. What should you look for when you buy an iPod case? Well, you know, it's funny that you would think, oh, a case, no big deal. But it's kind of like with i with um, headphones for the iPod is that you really have to decide what you're going to be using it for. Um, but still, we narrowed down our choices this year to uh, about three different cases, and mainly they were because they offered a lot of protection, a lot of value, money. Uh, <clears throat> we picked two for the full-size iPod, the um, 5G iPod, and one for the Nano. And the Nano one came from um, actually Dan Morin, who works over at Mac User, our our blog, and does some case reviews for playlists. He picked the Smooth E um, from Ava. And it, at, when you look at it, it looks like just a basic case, but what it is is it's a rigid, it kind of, he calls it a rigid skin case in that it kind of looks like a skin, a silicone skin case, but it's actually more protective. It's got a rigid internal frame um, coated with sort of a polymer that uh, surface that makes it very smooth. Uh, and so it sort of looks just like a skin case, but it gives you more protection. And what Dan really liked about this, Dan Morin, is that... Um, it protect most of your iPod really well, but also gave gave you good access to the controls. For example, the uh, the hold switch on the top of the iPod, which with a lot of skin cases is really hard to get to, they actually built a uh, a hold switch into the case itself. That when you when you activate it, then activates the uh, iPod's own switch underneath, which mm-hmm. that was very cool. So um, it's only a tw- it's twenty dollars, which is a pretty pretty good price for a protective case, and he liked that a lot. For the full size uh, iPod. Uh, a lot of people like skins, and uh, Derek DeLong, who's another one of our case reviewers and um, bloggers, uh, really like the Evo 3 from iSkin, which is a skin case, but like the Smoothie, also gives you some hard shell protection for the front of it um, and uh, protects the entire front face of the iPod behind hard surface rather than just silicone. Um, and it comes in a bunch of different colors. He liked that a lot. And then my favorite case of the year was the uh, uh, Agent 18 Video Shield Kit, 
And um, I've always liked Agent 18 shield cases because what they do is they give you a sort of two-piece clear uh, polycarbonate hard shell that clips on the front and back of your iPod and protects it from you know scratches and, and blows. And they've always left the the bottom of the iPod completely flat and accessible so that you can use bottom-mounted accessories, you know, like uh, microphones, FM mm-hmm. transmitters, things like that. Uh, but what makes this kit very cool, and it's $35 for the entire kit, is that uh, they give you some cool accessories. You get a, a stainless steel belt clip, which a lot of cases give you, but it also gives you um, a little flip-out stand. You can clip this onto the back, and it flips open and gives you a stand for watching videos. Like if you're on a plane, right? Uh, you can just sit on the on the on the um, the tray, seatback tray, and watch your videos without having to hold it. And then finally, uh, the sort of why hasn't anyone thought of this yet uh, piece is that. Um, with most iPod cases, you have a hard time using the iPod with dock accessories, mm-hmm. speaker systems, um, Apple's own dock, any kind of accessory that uses a dock cradle. You usually would have to remove your iPod from the case to put it in the dock. The Agent 18 case, what they do is they include a universal dock adapter. For those of you who haven't seen the newer iPods, they all come with these little adapters that um, as long as an accessory uses Apple's universal dock design, this adapter lets your iPod fit in the dock. And the Agent 18 case comes with a, a dock adapter made specifically for the case. So you can use your um, Agent 18 Video Shield enclosed iPod in any dockable iPod accessory that uses that universal dock system. We're going to turn to one last thing, and that is automobile accessories. A lot of people want to put iPods in their car, but it's, the options are not, uh, not always great. I mean, are FM transmitters really worth a damn? Well, they're they're a last resort, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I, don't wanna, I don't want to make it sound horrible, but the fact of the matter is if you've got an, uh, an auto stereo, car stereo that has an auxiliary input or some other kind of built-in iPod uh, connection method, that's the way to go. You'll get the best sound quality um, far better than any other, uh, any other approach. Uh, after that, my personal um, preference is to use a cassette adapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think, oh, my God, cassette adapters, that's so 1980s. But the fact of the matter is is that you've got um, a cassettes don't sound bad. They sound better than FM radio. And if you've got an FM cassette, or, excuse me, a cassette player in your car, then a cassette adapter is, is the way to go, and it's cheap. It's usually, you know, $10, $15 for a good adapter or more if you get an adapter that has any special features. But... Um, and then beyond, but past that, if you don't have either of those, then you're kind of stuck with FM transmitters, and they broadcast your iPod's audio over a particular frequency, generally one that you choose, um, generally one that you want to find one that's open in your area that doesn't have a radio station broadcasting on it, and then you tune your car stereo into that station to hear the audio. Um, you know, and it's a it's a clever clever uh, de- uh, device. You know, they've been around for 20, 30 years, but uh, the problem with them is that uh, there's a lot of interference. Uh, sometimes you get static signals. If you've got strong uh, radio stations in your area, it might be hard to get an open station. Um, and if you commute over a long distance, you might end up finding yourself going from one weak station to a strong station on the same frequency, and so you have to change. You know. So there are some drawbacks to it. But that being said, um, somebody, I, I can't remember who it was, did a, a roundup of, say, 30 transmitters for us. Can you huh. remember? Oh, that would have been me. Oh, oh, yes, right. Oh, that was me. Right, right. right. So to answer my own question, I guess, uh, yeah, as you say, it's, um, if you have open stations in your area and you have a strong enough transmitter, it's an okay option. But boy, if you can do it some other way and give somebody a gift certificate to the local 
automobile audio shop instead <laughs> and say, here's 150 bucks. Go there and they will figure out a way to put a direct connection into your stereo. Right. right. That, that makes the most sense, particularly when some of these high-end transmitters now are going for 100 bucks. Yep. If for a little more, you can get your car wired and that's, I think that's the better way to go. That said, I think that there's some, some good ones out there. I think DLO makes some nice, uh, transmitters. Um, Griffin Technology makes some good ones. Kensington makes some good ones. Belkin does a decent job on some of theirs. But generally, if you're going to get one of these for someone, check out where they're driving, what kind of, uh, station noise you're going to have and make sure you can return it because it's, it, they're not for everyone. Um, I saw an article recently that, that England had in the past has forbidden these things mm-hmm. and suddenly now they're allowed to use them and everybody's going, Oh yes, now we can use our iTrips legally in the UK <laughs> and we can use them in Europe and it's a mixed blessing. It's like, yeah, you can. Good luck. Right. And, uh, and maybe you'll be okay. But if, boy, if you're in London, I think that could be a problem. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, there are some good ones out there and the ones that we gave awards to this year, they kind of stood out. Um, and a lot of this was based on your, your review and your testing of all of these different ones were the, uh, the DLO Transpod and Transdoc Micro, which are $170, and $70, uh, respectively. But those two stood out this year. Yeah, they did. And, and not only just because of the, the power in them, but they also have desirable things like presets. For example, if you, a lot of these things, you know, will tune to one station and that's fine. But now you've gone into an area of, of interference and you really want one where you can preset another station that you know is going to be decent where you are. Otherwise, you're taking your eyes off the road and you crash and you die. And, and, so, and it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. You're right. It's not <laughs> worth it. And it, these also, like some other, um, transfers, they plug into the cigarette lighter port. So you don't have to worry that your iPod has to be charged before you use it, right. or you don't have to swap batteries in and out. Instead, you just plug yeah. it into the cigarette lighter and you're set to go. Yeah. And, and one other car accessory that I just think is it was such a cool idea was, uh, Belkin's tune deck for iPod. And, and I, we mentioned cassette adapters and how they are actually a, a pretty decent option. But the problem with the cassette adapter is you generally have, you know, the, the cassette adapter fits in your car stereo and then you've got a cable that's sort of hanging down to wherever you've got your iPod. Belkin, what they did is they took a, a cassette adapter and they built a car mount directly into it. And, and how it works is you put your cassette adapter, the, the tune deck cassette adapter into your cassette player and then, um, sticking out of the cassette player is a metal, a sturdy metal, um, iPod dock and you put your iPod nano in the little dock so your iPod is basically sitting there right in the front of your car stereo. Um, of course, if you've got a CD player, you can't eject your CD when you've got your iPod sitting there. But it's a very cool accessory because you get um, better sound quality because it's, it's drawing the audio directly from the iPod's dock connector. Um, you've got a place where your iPod is accessible and visible instead of just you know dangling on a cord somewhere around the inside of your car. Um, and then if you really uh, and you don't have the cable clutter, that's the other thing. Um, and then if you if you do need to charge your iPod, it also includes an, uh, a charger that connects to your cigarette light adapter in your car. But it's a very cool um, uh, design, and it's it's the kind of thing where again, why didn't anybody think of this before? Uh, the only drawback is that right now it only works with um, first generation iPod Nanos. Uh, second generation version is is coming out as well as a version I've been told that loads cassettes. Uh, for for a car series that have their cassette uh, deck with a horizontal or lengthwise mm-hmm. um, um, cassette orientation, because uh, most of them, you know, you just put them in end to end. 
Right, right. Well, great. I think that nicely covers it. Where can listeners go for more information on cool iPod gear? Playlistmag.com is the uh, playlist website, and I believe right there on the front page you'll also see a link to the Plays of the Year Awards, where you can see the whole article on all the uh, products we gave awards to this year. Great, and those will as those links will be in our show notes as well. And uh, nice job. Thanks very much for joining us, Dan. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Chris. You bet. And finally, listener Greg Keen was kind enough to send in an audio question for our consideration. Take it away, Greg. Hi, Chris. This is Greg in Oregon. Glad to have you back. Love the podcast. couple questions for you. I know you're going to be reviewing the new uh, iPod Shuffle. And for those of us that listen to Audible and podcasts, I was wondering if you could answer a couple questions. Obviously, I know we can go previous and next track with the Shuffle. My question is, can we go fast forward and rewind a few seconds? So if I hear something and I want to go back a few seconds, can I do that using the shuffle? Other question is, when I hit next and previous or some other method, is it possible to go chapter by chapter in Audible books or uh, chapter by chapter when there's a bookmark and an enhanced podcast? Any information you have would be really helpful. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for the question, Greg. I'm afraid it's a good news, bad news answer, though. The good news is that, yes, you can fast-forward and rewind the shuffle just as you can with a larger iPod. You just press and hold the forward or previous button, and the iPod will skip ahead or back a few seconds. Even with your thumb on one of these buttons, the iPod will stop every so often and play an audio tidbit before skipping some more, so you can get an idea of where you are in the track. The longer you hold down a button, the larger the jumps the iPod takes. For example, the first couple of jumps may be a second or two. Press longer and you'll start skipping by larger intervals. The bad news is that the shuffle doesn't understand chapter marks in audiobooks or podcasts such as this one. When you briefly press forward or back, the iPod will simply move to the next track rather than to the next chapter. But, you know, the iPod Nano is a very attractive little device, so if you're looking for chapter navigation, go with the Nano. It's, uh, it has a display, it recognizes chapter marks, and it will do exactly what you ask of it. And for listeners other than Greg, if you'd like to have your question considered for inclusion in our podcast, please record that question as an MP3 or AAC file and send it to my attention to Mac911 at Macworld.com. And that does it for this edition of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by MYOB, Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you mind your own business smarter. I'd like to thank Microsoft and Apple Records for giving me something to rant about, Dan Frakes for his iPod gear expertise, listener Greg Keen for taking the time to send in a question, and, of course, you for listening. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. I'll see you next time.